you don't have confidence in yourself, you can't expect others to have confidence in you. Welcome to the Bold Moves How Did You Know podcast, a podcast for the naturally curious who want to define their own path. Here, I'm sharing bold move stories that propelled my guests from curiosity to action. And in doing so, they've defined a path that is purposeful to them. Through these stories, I hope you'll be inspired to pursue your boldest dreams. Today, I am truly honored to be joined by Connie Collinsworth. She's the senior advisor at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I don't know, but you may have heard of this foundation because it is the largest foundation in the world, distributing over $8.3 billion annually. Prior to her becoming the senior advisor, she was the chief operating officer and chief legal officer at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Her role included advising its trustees, including Bill Gates, Melinda French Gates, and Warren Buffett. She created the foundation's governing board and managed the foundation's business operations for its 11 offices worldwide. Currently, she also holds several board roles, including with the Banner Corporation, Access Capital, and Planet First Partners. Connie, I am so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Enjoy the conversation with you. I'm really excited to talk to you today, Connie, because, you know, when we first met during our initial conversation, I learned a little bit more about your background. And I learned through that conversation that early on in your career, you intentionally pivoted your career well before there was public discourse around purpose and passion, which seems to be kind of overwhelming and dominating the conversation today when it comes to career. But uh, but you are thinking about your career from this kind of lens well before now. And it seems like you had this internal knowing or a gut feeling that you what you were doing wasn't quite giving you the fulfillment in your work that you were seeking. So I was wondering if we could start there. Can you take us back to that point in your career um, and talk to us a little bit about what the inflection point was that led you to seek out that opportunity with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation at the very beginning? That occurred over 21 years ago. At that time, I was a corporate securities lawyer at the firm that's now called KNL Gates, doing equity financing, venture capital, and MA type transactions. I was, in effect, a deal lawyer. And the focus back in the 2000 timeframe was doing dot com deals. And it was the beginning of the explosion of the internet. And when you closed a transaction, it was not unusual for investment bankers to give you these lucite cubes that had the logos and terms of the deals. And you get a little collection of these kind of cubes. And I had a pretty good stack of them going because I'd been doing them for 20 years. And the level of greed in the dot-com era just left a bad taste in my mouth. And I thought to myself, if I'm going to look back 20 more years from now and say that all I show for it is this big collection of lucite cubes which in effect would mostly say that I'd made rich people richer and I thought I'm not sure if that would be fulfilling so I wasn't unhappy with the law firm I was on the executive committee I was a managing 
and enjoyed the deals, but the nature of the work at that time made me think about whether I wanted a greater purpose. And so someone within the firm who had represented the Gates Foundation as a tax lawyer approached me and said, they're looking to hire their first lawyer. You should think about applying. And it's interesting because everyone, as you mentioned in the opening, knows the name the Gates Foundation today. But at that time, I would call it a startup. It really was a family-run startup with too much money. And at that time, the budget was more like a billion dollars, which is still a lot. But there were only three people literally doing the work in global health at that time. And when I started, there was no no forms, no contracts, no policies, no systems. It really truly was like going to a startup, which was an amazing opportunity. I just knew that that even with the money that was there, it would have an impact, but I couldn't have dreamed how it has all played out. You spoke about a, a bad taste in your mouth, which is a, is a, I think everybody can kind of wrap their mind around that, you know, personally, what a bad taste might feel like to them. To you, what did that feel like, um, you know, when you were coming home every day or perhaps on the job? Can you describe what the feeling was that was, you know, kind of turning you off? Did you have physical sensations? Was it more emotional or mental just knowing that, you know, my gut's not in alignment here? Well, it's interesting. There were two aspects. One, it was just the level of greed and feeling like I was facilitating that. The second is interesting as things cycle, because I think it's interesting again today now with all of the talk about AI and what it will do to the workplace. Because if you think, if you can, you may not be able to relate, but I've been practicing law long enough that there weren't really word processors and and computers originally that you took your documents down to a group called word processing who did the typing for you and i used to start out originally negotiating face to face uh, always in the room at the table and i also had there was another aspect where the other side of the transaction was represented by a very well-known california law firm that represented some pretty uh, famous venture capital firms and they'd sent me some forms and uh, I represented the company and the, the deal was not accurately reflected. And the associate said, I don't have authority to change the form. And I wasn't talking about the boilerplate. I was talking about the business terms. And when that lawyer said, I, I'm just giving you forms, I also had the feeling, I don't want to just hand forms back and forth. I want to be challenged into actually... I want to negotiate. I want to be hands-on and get to know people. And, and it's interesting 20 years later to see what's happened with remote work and with the new talk about what AI will do, especially to lawyers and, and certain jobs. So it was a combination of both the, the role I played in facilitate, facilitating the, the creation of wealth versus at the foundation I'm giving wealth away. And the fact that I was concerned that the practice of law would become routine or routinized, which wasn't going to be interesting. I didn't think it, I don't think it's played out that way, uh, but it's interesting to hear the current talk about what could happen. So you, you joined uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Um, 
And at that time, as you said, you know, you had to be scrappy and create everything from scratch and figure out how to build systems and processes um, from at the very beginning. And then, of course, as it grew, you um, were able to have quite the impact in, in scaling the foundation globally across the world. I think I read uh, at the beginning of the intro, 11 offices now globally. But so can you talk a little bit more about how your career evolved over the year from where you started to then 21 years later, um, where you found yourself leaving and or not leaving, but retiring and moving into a new position with the foundation? So for the first two years, I was the only lawyer and I did everything, every grant, every contract, every transaction, all the advice, legal advice to the co-chairs and the CEO. And obviously that became too much. So within a couple, six months or so, I started hiring my team. And it's pretty amazing when I left there now over 57 lawyers on the legal team at the foundation. And I was always the solution-oriented type of uh, lawyer. I didn't look for no's. I looked for creative solutions. And I looked for problems and I found things that were frustrating to me relative to how efficiently the foundation was operated. In particular, our grants and contract system had two different, two different databases and, and actually nine different components to it. And my argument was that a grant and a contract are both legal documents and shouldn't have different systems because they're basically both just contracts and we wanted to have the database so we could use the data for how much we give and what parts of the world and uh, the outcomes and things we wanted to measure. And so I was pushing them to really create a new enterprise-wide technology solution. And at, at one point they said, well, if you want this so bad, why don't you just take it over and become the executive sponsor? Well, I also don't have a background in IT technology, but I was happy to lead that effort and did so and completely redid our systems that resulted in replacing nine disparate systems with one major system. And as I would find these problems, they would just give things to me. So I was asked to take over grants and contracts. Then I was asked to take over management of IT. And by the time I left, I was managing uh, the largest division of the foundation for a while, for 10 months. I was also the CHRO, so I was managing the human resources department, uh, global security, and uh, pretty much all of operations. And they didn't then want me to let go of the title of chief legal officer because I was responsible for advising Bill and Melinda and Warren Buffett about the governance. And so that is why I ended up with both of those titles when I stepped down in March of this year. How did you have the confidence or maybe it was courage to continue taking on all these projects that I'm assuming you didn't have, you know, the experience with from the get go? Of course, it's true, but you don't do things as a leader yourself. You hire good people. And I had a great team and would find great people that would be the experts, the subject matter experts, the technical experts, the leaders. And so it's all about not understanding necessarily the mechanics, but having clear goals, having 
uh, an ability to advocate, sponsor, get the resources to troubleshoot, to to eliminate barriers, to have a vision and a strategy, and then to delegate and execute through hiring the right people. It sounds like your 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 strengths you have several of them is as a, a problem solver finding you know taking on a problem and then being able to you know efficiently solve the problem with the right resources how important do you think it was for you to be aware of your strengths as you moved into some of these new roles or taking on these new projects um to help you know then round out the team where maybe you needed some support well, I think the word you used earlier was confidence. I think that you have to have belief in yourself. One of mm-hmm. the sayings I've heard that I really like is that a leader without followers is someone just going for a walk. And people know if you've got confidence in yourself. And if you don't have confidence in yourself, you can't expect others to have confidence in you. And so I think I had the confidence that I could find the right people and that I could get the resources and that we could come up with solutions. And the more, each time I did that and succeeded, they would just turn and give me more, which kept me very challenged and made me feel like I was contributing to the mission in ways that were very unique. Speaking of that, you know, now, uh, as you said previously, you know, you are now you're helping um, give all of this money away, right, which has a much greater maybe mission um, and, and impact. So how did that feel in comparison to then your previous experience, um, you know, as you were going through or starting this work with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? Did you just feel different doing the work because of the impact you were making? Well, I have, I'm very proud now and can really feel good about both aspects of my career. If I hadn't done the first 20 years, I don't think I would have been positioned or trained to do the second half of my career. Mm. And so I'm proud, I'm proud of both, but I'm glad I got to do both and I feel very good. And it's true. Like you said, it's interesting to watch how the workforce has evolved, where most people are looking for purpose and mission and now initially mm-hmm. where my boomer generation was mostly looking for money and stature and I feel like I really had an, a chance to have it all great uh, great segue into my next question which is around this notion of you know this generation of people who are rejecting the notion of the American dream and looking for something much broader than status and wealth in their careers. And in fact, during our initial conversation, you pointed me to this Wall Street Journal essay about the new American dream, and I just loved uh, reading it. And in there, he shared something that really stuck with me. Um, He said, the people who are most fulfilled at work don't start with how, they start with who they want to be, what they wanna be doing, and why they wanna be doing it. That seems to have guided some of your bold moves, or, or the bold moves of, of your career as well versus this like former mentality of status and wealth. Um, So I'm curious, you know, do you think of your career from this standpoint, like the who, the what, and the why before the how, were you kind of thinking in that way? Well, before now, clearly 20 years ago when you were making that transition from your prior company to the Bill and Melinda. I don't know that I was that astute. So you may be giving me too much credit, but I can tell you that I've always been very intentional 
mm-hmm. about every stage, about knowing where I wanted to go. But that being said, there's no way I could have predicted when I started law school that I would end up where I ended up. So it's not like the map was drawn and all I did is travel the road, but I was always looking ahead and looking along the horizon and thinking about how to keep myself challenged. Mm -hmm. And I think I invested a lot in learning throughout having a growth mindset, which are things that contributed to my journey. Absolutely. While you were in, you know, at the foundation, did you have those moments of reflection and reevaluation about where you wanted to go, um, you know, across your your several different roles and opportunities? Well, I was very clear about six or seven years ago that I did want to expand to the COO role. And Mm -hmm. it was it was my initiative that said, "I'll, I'll take this on. I'll take these responsibilities and including when the CHRO left, the the chief human resources officer left, I said to the CEO, I will help you and and stepped into that role. So it it wasn't that I was passive. I was always looking for ways to contribute Mm -hmm. and to stretch myself. And uh, I otherwise would never have on my own thought, that's something I wanted to say I would add to my resume, but there was a need and I felt like I could step in for that gap and and help the organization. I think that's what you're sharing is a really important takeaway that in order to be intentional about your career, it's really about defining what you, you know, what opportunities you want to take on. How are you going to keep yourself growing? And then once you've identified those, you can look for the opportunities within your organization or perhaps outside of the organization to continue to grow. But complacency um, really can, you know, halt your progress with career development for sure. Um, is there is there anything that you were wrong about when it comes to starting or growing your career? I'm curious to know if you've changed your mind about anything over over the time. I am not by nature someone who looks back that way. And it doesn't mean I've done everything right or that I haven't failed, but I recharacterize those as learning opportunities. So sure, there's plenty of things I'm sure that I could have done differently, but I don't spend a lot of time on those. And I feel actually more fortunate and stunned that all the doors that opened versus the doors that closed for me. Um, But I've, I've learned, you know, if I knew now today what I know back when I was starting out, gosh, life would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? But I, I think that's unrealistic. That's just the way it is. But I but I love what you're saying about your mindset, right? Because that is a mindset um, and, and shift for some people, mindset shift for some people, because some people um, with any, you know, anything that may have gone wrong or, you know, not as they had planned or wanted, uh, that could feel a lot like rejection. But it does sound like for you, Connie, you kind of took it as information and you said yeah you know there are some things there that you know perhaps i could have done differently and i'll care you know i'll carry it with me and apply it the next time around is that fair to say right i think i think one of the important attributes of leadership is resilience Mm -hmm. and it's just like sports and you know famous lebron james he talks about how many times he didn't make the winning shot 
He's known for making it, but obviously he didn't many times, but he did it enough that they kept passing him the ball. So, you know, you're not, you're not going to score every goal and it's unrealistic to think that you will, but that doesn't mean you don't quit trying. I'm, I'm thinking of a question now, you know, when, when something goes off track a little bit, um, how do you bring a team, you know, as a leader, how do you bring a team along on that journey? Do you have any thoughts or tips and advice um, on how you lead through that? Uh, through, I'm hesitant to use the word failure. You know, it's not always this big capital F as in failure, but, you know, how do you lead through moments of uncertainty or, you know, lack of progress? I think a lot of it has to do with how you set your goals up. Sometimes the goals are too big and that's why you fail. And I think if you set achievable smaller goals and celebrate those successes and you have really clear expectations and make sure that you give people the true resources or the mm-hmm. backing, oftentimes it's not the leader's uh, it's the leader doesn't back someone or they don't resource it or they don't prioritize it or there's lack of change management. And those are examples where I've seen things fail that I've worked on before. And so the individual may have done exactly what they're requested to do, but the project doesn't succeed for all the things that I just listed. And that's where I feel like the leader of a project has to be the one to own uh you know, cutting through the bush and standing up to the executives and taking the heat. And so those are the areas where often projects fail from resistance and uh, because people don't like change. And it isn't the actual doing of the elements of the work. It's true often in the case of technology. It isn't the technology that fails. It's that people don't want to change how they do things because they they don't like change. And so those are some of my biggest learnings about projects that didn't succeed is that it was the role of the sponsor to really do a better job of, of setting the project up for success. What advice would you give to someone who's considering making a bold career move, but they're hesitant or fearful? Um, you know, how can they overcome their doubts and take action? Well, I, I even pause on the on the phrases like hesitant or fearful. I mean, you have to do your research. You have to make a well-informed decision. But I'm not a real big fan of, as you said, complacency. So I'm not, you know, when when things go wrong, my phrase is typically if nobody died or nobody got hurt, then, you know, so what if you banged up the fender on the car? right? You can fix most things. There's, you know, there's not that many things you do career-wise that, uh, you know, you, if you do something in, in unethical or illegal or something like that, but otherwise you've got a long journey and it is unrealistic to think every step is a perfect stepping stone. And it does, it doesn't hurt to fall in the water, get wet. And you learn from that just as much as anything else. So I don't really care for the phrases of fear. And I think you just have to make those leaps in your title bold is I, I didn't, I didn't think of myself as being that bold. Honestly, I thought it was an amazing opportunity. And uh, I, I didn't, 
you know, my only risk was whether I would get the job, not whether I would make a bad decision about going. There. People shouldn't be fearful of taking a risk because that's ultimately a lot of what uh, your career is all about and the way that you continue to advance your career. And the opposite of that is if you are fearful and hesitant and you let that hold you back, you fall into the trap of, you know, staying stagnant and stuck potentially in a situation that you don't enjoy. Um, so it is about shifting your mindset if that's the place that you're in to build up your 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 confidence or courage muscle um, to to be able to overcome that hurdle and keep it moving forward. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Rachel Platten. I don't know if you know her songs. No, I'm not familiar. I'd love to hear about it. Oh, God, you should listen to her. And she's got one that I can't think of all the words of right off the top of my head. Uh, but it it's one of my favorites because it says, you know, you you won't get invited if you don't leave the house, if you don't go out of your room. You know, you won't get invited to dance if you don't go to the party. It's got this whole list. And, and that's the way I think about it. If you if you don't get out of your own yeah. way, I think that's the title. You, you got to get out of your own way. And I, I think a lot of people get in their own way. Did you have anyone as a mentor or someone that you could lean on as you were navigating your career um, to kind of help you know, that you would seek out advice from? Yes, I had mentors, obviously, and people who were my advocates. I think that would be probably the most important thing of all is there were people who were my sponsors and advocates. And I tried to learn from everyone and take the best of what I could from what I saw and how I admired them to to shape my own style. Yeah, I would assume as you're, you know, progressing in your career and taking on new opportunities and challenges, there would be quite a few questions that come up where you might need to ask somebody who has the experience doing that to help you kind of think through all the different options or how to proceed. Speaking of that, um, do you have any practices, uh, maybe self-care practices, mindset practices that have helped you continuously perform at such a high level over the last 20 years? You know, advising Bill and Melinda Gates, Warren Buffett is no small feat. <laughs> and so what has helped you continue to um, be able to perform at, at that highest level um, to help the organization succeed? Well, I think there's there's a daily practice. I'm very to-do list driven mm. and I, I set goals and I am kind of actually anal about it. If I set a goal, I, whatever it is, uh, I get it done or I, or I adjust it. You know, if I make a commitment, I follow through, uh -huh. but I also think I'm known for being a courageous leader and telling truth. And those are the type of people you listed who a lot of people want to suck up to and say yes to. And I have a favorite example I like to give called the Ash Line Experiment, which is about conformist bias, where they did a study back in the 50s and they gave individuals uh, three cards with lines drawn on them. And one line was unequivocally shorter or longer. I can't remember which way of the others, but there was no visual doubt. It wasn't a trick. And the study showed that as many as 75% of the people changed their mind in their answer <clears throat> about which line was, say, the shortest, because of a majority of other people who were all plants 
gave a different answer. And my view always was, I'm going to be the one, I'm going to be the person who tells you what I see. And I'm not going to let the pressure of feeling like I would be uh, uncomfortable because I, you know, wanted to go along or think that somebody else was smarter than me. So they must be right. If the line is short, the line is short. And I'm going to tell you, then you can make your best decision and it can be a well-informed decision, but it doesn't do me any good to cave in because I feel uncomfortable, which again requires confidence, but it, it also requires integrity. And I've always been a, known as a truth teller. And I think that's partly what gave me that special position of trust is they know whether the answer was something they wanted to hear, they knew they would hear the truth from me. I'm letting that wash over me because that to me was such a poignant antidote that you just shared, Connie. So thank you for that. And I would even maybe go out on a limb and say the majority of leaders um, are more willing to conform um, because of the notion of uh, trying to please um, or make sure that they stay on somebody's, you know, quote unquote, good side. But, but in fact, probably the most successful leaders are actually the ones that, as you, as you said, and, and called it truth tellers and have a, uh, a, a strong sense, a strong point of view on an issue and can defend it and don't kind of move uh, the line on it. Um, and, and therefore I think they become trusted and relied on, right? Um, when you find the right people who appreciate that. Did, did you know that aspect to your leadership ever have any unintended negative consequences uh, during your career or it's always been valuable? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Oh, sure. of course. No, I mean, people, uh, one negative that was hard on me was I was always given the task of saying no. Uh, everyone was always like, let Connie say no, because she, she does it. And that wears on you to have to carry that brick all by yourself. And so the combination of being the lawyer who I think has more authority to say no, but I got frustrated with my peers who I think at times would step back and leave me standing there because they knew that I would be the one to deliver the hard message. As you look back on your career, what are you the most proud of and the most grateful for? There's several things that I'm the most proud of. The first is the legacy of the teams that I built, including my successors. There were three individuals promoted to the executive leadership team upon my leaving. One was a Black woman that I hired 18 years ago who became the chief legal officer. Another was an Indian woman that I hired four years ago who became the chief human resources officer. And the third was a woman who became the chief operating officer who I didn't hire, but I promoted. And she was the chief security officer and helped me manage the COVID epidemic crisis in all of our offices around the world before uh, I left. And I'd really positioned her and exposed her to top leadership as part of that experience so that she was viewed as capable to take over the COO role. So I feel very proud of the fact that three of the people that I mentored and promoted were chosen as my successors internally. And then I'm proud of, of my family and uh, my daughters who are 30 and 32, who are young professionals 
and that they now turn to me at the ages that they are and tell me that they're glad that I worked and was a role model mm. for them. And I think that reaffirms that I made the right choice relative to balancing both work and career. I ask all of my guests, what do you know today about being bold that you wish you would have known earlier on? I think the thing that I've learned is that people are there to help you more than you realize and that you shouldn't be so hesitant to reach out and ask for help. And that it would be scary to to call up somebody you don't know and ask them for advice or for an introduction and that really a lot of things aren't about your resume or your paper but what you know from relationships and so i i've learned now at this stage to be more comfortable doing that than i was originally okay last question what is your next bold move and how did you know what you wanted to do next well i don't know if it's bold but i'm working pretty hard on expanding the number of boards on which nice. i serve and i feel very strongly about both board diversity as well as just the ways that you can contribute as a board member. And I'm excited about, about continuing to learn about different businesses and industries. And I'm looking forward to staying active and, and continuing to help in different ways by participating on boards and other professional activities. This has been so much fun, Connie. I truly appreciate your joining me today and being on the Bold Moves podcast. If anybody wanted to learn more about you, connect with you, is there somewhere they can go? Well, I would say LinkedIn is the best place for them to reach out. Amazing. Well, uh, thank you again for being here, Connie. And for everyone else, thanks for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And we'll see you in the next one. One last thing before I leave you today, don't forget to sign up for the Bold Moves Podcast Club. I'm so excited about this podcast club. We are going to deep dive into the different topics that my guests talk about every month. It's like a book club, but for my podcast. And the idea is that each month, you're going to receive an email to dive deeper into these topics and themes that my podcast guest explored about being bold over the month. That's because nobody said being bold was easy and we all need a little support and encouragement and also understand what are some of these uh, practices that you can put in place in your own life. How can you think differently about being bold? Because to get to who you want to become may require some changes in what you do to get there. So I'm helping you through this Bold Moves Podcast Club to empower you to take bold action on your dreams. It's free to join, so just go over to my website, kristenrocco.com slash bold-moves-resources, or even easier, open up the show notes right now, click the link, and sign up. It's that simple. Uh -huh.